0: now. At this point, I think I'm going to start a book club. But I'm telling you, 2021 book recommendation, The Skies Belong to Us by Brendan Kerner. This book, the minute that I opened it, the minute that I started reading it, I couldn't put it down. I was eating food while I was reading this. I was taking this book from room to room. You just get so immersed into it. You feel like you're on a plane. You feel like you're being held hostage. Not by the book, but you get what I'm saying, okay? You feel like you're in Algeria, in Paris. The amount of details the amount of research that's in this book this little podcast is not going to do this book justice it's a non-fiction book but it reads straight up like a thriller so make sure to check out the skies belong to us by brendan kurtner now let's get into the episode
1: bada bing, bada boom.
0: welcome aboard western flight 701 we will be landing in seattle in approximately 25 minutes that was a good one. I'm sorry. Are you guys getting the hint that I wanted to be a flight attendant once in my life? Yes, absolutely. So this week's case is going to be, I mean, we're just going to jump right in. So Western Flight 701. Western was an airlines before they merged with Delta Airlines. And this specific flight was headed from Los Angeles to Seattle Airport. And they had 25 minutes left. Now, what's interesting is that Western had very strict rules for their flight attendants. One specifically is that none of the flight attendants were allowed to be seen eating by any any of the passengers. It's because it ruins the whole female daintiness. Are you serious? Yeah, and I think it's just like that because when's the last time you saw a flight attendant eating on any airline?
1: Oh, I see them munching. You see them? <laughs> <laughs> I see them munching behind the, the bathroom space.
0: Oh, the little curtain yeah, space. Yeah, I see them munching. <laughs> so Western Airlines, they were really strict about this. All of the flight attendants, after feeding the passengers, they would gather in their little quarters, close the curtains, and start eating. So mm. one of the main flight attendants, her name was Gina, and along with her two colleagues, they're just munching on some mashed potatoes, on some chicken. You know, meals were a lot fancier back in the day. And then suddenly they hear the... T- of the curtains slide open. But all the flight attendants are here. So they whip around and they see, oh, it's that nice tall man from 18D in the army uniform. Why is he here? Why is he opening this curtain? And she thinks, oh, shit. So earlier, Gina had spilt some bourbon on him and she promised to bring him a voucher for dry cleaning. And she forgot. So she's like, oh, he's here to like, you know, tell me where's my voucher. Come on, come on. What's with this service? So she's just about to apologize when he pulls out two sheets of paper. And he says, I need to show you something. Read these and they're neatly handwritten and it says success through death, everyone, except the captain will leave the cabin. There are four of us, two bombs do as you're told and no shooting will take place. Oh, no. She flips to the next sheet. It contained a diagram of what looked like inside of a briefcase. There's rectangles inside of it, and they were numbered as different bombs, different parts of a bomb.
1: A diagram? Yeah, like a
0: hand drawn picture, and he's holding a briefcase. And it's a picture Uh. of inside of a briefcase, and it's saying like bomb number one. And it also states one second delay when the pin is pulled, you know, implying that once he pulls the pin, it's gonna explode in about a second. So it says keep smiling at the end. Keep smiling turn over she turns the page and it says to the captain don't stop and he raises his hand the man from 18d raises his hand to show gina that he is indeed holding that briefcase there's a thin copper wire coming right out of it right next to his finger and he looks at her and says you have two minutes
1: To do what?
0: To go tell the captain. So she runs immediately to the cabin or to the cockpit and she's bouncing on the door like, come on, let me in, let me in. She's allowed in and she's telling the captain, the co-pilot, and there happened to be like a, a third party there. Not, I mean, he worked for the airlines, right? So there's uh-huh. three men in there. And she's like, you need to read this. So the captain was an ex-marine. He's like, well, I know how to read bomb diagrams. Give me the papers. So he's reading through all of the instructions, looking at the bomb diagram, and he's hoping that something is wrong. Maybe this guy is just bluffing. But this is the work of someone who knew what they were doing. This bomb looks intricate and it looks real.
1: So what did the people want? They say, what, what they didn't they ask for the cap- anything.
0: They want the cockpit empty. They want just the captain and they're the co-pilot to get out.
1: Oh, okay.
0: And so the captain is like, oh, shit, this is a real threat. This is absolutely real. And he shows it to his co-pilot, Edward. Now his co-pilot starts freaking out. Not because this is a scary situation, which it is, but geez louise, this is the second time a plane that he was piloting was hijacked in less than a month. What? Welcome to the golden age of hijacking i know that we know about um you know i feel like we're most commonly familiar with db cooper that's one that comes to mind but did you know there was a whole era of just hundreds of skyjackings hundreds
1: What? How does that work?
0: Because back before there was TSA, back before there was canine dogs, there was literally nothing. And when I say literally nothing, I mean literally. You could go through the entire airport without passing one x-ray machine, a metal detector, or even security detail. You didn't even need a plane ticket to get onto a plane. They treated it like trains. So some airlines, they would let people find a seat. The seats were not, you know, assigned. And you would sit down. And then after the, the plane is in the air, they would go around. Can I see your ticket? Can uh-huh. I see your ticket? Like a train. And you yeah. would say, oh, I don't have one. How much is it? And you would pull out your little cash and hand it to the flight attendant. Wow. So between the years of 1961 to 1972, there was close to over, close to 200 commercial airlines that were hijacked in the U.S. alone.
1: But I don't know how they get away with it. Don't you they have get to land? And...
0: They land. They land in Cuba.
1: <laughs>
0: oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Most of them were happening in the last five years. Sometimes it would happen every other week. There was this one month where they had over eleven hijacked planes in the United States. Is this not insane? All the criminals,
1: like, wow, that's an easy, yeah. easy peasy job.
0: Exactly. <laughs> Sometimes it would be two hijackings a day, and the news would just be like another hijacking. And it's not that it was just super easy to do Compared to today's standards Which it was back in the day Like I said You could bring guns onto the plane No one checks your baggage You just walk on You don't even need a ticket But America was obsessed with planes It, it, it had this symbol of privilege and prestige And pilots were considered heroes Most of them were ex-marines Ex-army These are like veterans mm-hmm. And planes were considered these Massive technological just dreams
1: And only rich people can fly Exactly
0: right? And they take you to another country People will talk about you if you hijack a plane. You'll be all over the news. And the way that you're talked about as a skyjacker is less of, oh, God, this is a disgusting criminal, but more of, "Whoa, that takes balls. So the Federal Aviation Act of 1958 was passed. And fun fact, they didn't even bother to make hijacking a crime. So skyjacking an American aircraft was completely legal. (laughs) Wait, what? (laughs) Yep.
1: (laughs) Until that law passed.
0: No, that law passed and they did not include skyjacking. They just include include? like safety things for federal aviation, but not skyjacking.
1: So you're saying it's illegal to hijack a plane?
0: I mean, not anymore. But back then it was. It was completely legal. I mean, you would get charged (laughs) with possibly kidnapping hostages, possibly Uh assault on the captains, you Uh know, but that was about it. Or uh, transferring planes across state lines illegally. That was like a good one, but not for skyjacking. I I mean, it's insane.
1: Yeah, it's too new, right?
0: Yeah. This is the longest skyjacking in history. D.B. Cooper got away with it, right? But these Mm -hmm. people, they essentially got away with it too. And it was a couple and it's the most hectic, chaotic. I mean, what the fork is going on? They make multiple different stops. I mean, it's a shit show. So we're talking about Roger Holder. And I think to understand this entire skyjacking process, we need to understand Roger Holder. Who is this man? Well, he was living in California with his family. His dad was a 15-year Navy veteran. So you're talking about like an army, military family, a disciplined family. They find out that the Navy opened a station in Coos Bay, Oregon, which is like this small logging town, right? And they were tracking Soviet submarine activity over there, and they needed a new chief cook. So they're like, hey, what about what about Mr. Holder from the Navy? We could bring him in from Alameda, California, and he could, he could work at the Oregon station at Coos Bay. So the dad gets a job, and they make this trek. You know, Roger's only 10 years old, and they make this trek from California California to Oregon and Roger and his brothers they're excited they're ecstatic because California I mean prices were high but in Oregon they rented a four-bedroom house Roger's gonna finally have a bedroom to his own right a 10-year-old with his own bedroom that's crazy so once they get to Oregon though they go to the real estate office to pick up the keys and the person says oh you guys are the holders Well, the property isn't available anymore um i will mail you your deposit back but yeah you can't rent the house anymore and the family knew exactly what that meant it's because they were black they were probably the single black family in coos bay oregon
1: oh my god so they saw them and yeah because
0: on the phone they were like oh yeah the holder family they work for the navy cool great let's rent them a house so they stay at a hotel several other landlords kept turning them down and you know because they were the single black family at the time these landlords didn't even try to conceal their blatant racism they were just like oh you're black absolutely not finally an older quote-unquote eccentric woman was like here you can stay at my place and when they passed the keys off to the holders she Mm -hmm. also passed them a shotgun and was like you're gonna need it you're really gonna need (laughs) it so they're like what Sure enough, two nights after moving in, a pickup truck pulls up to the Holder house and they're screaming, N-word, go home. Wow, Just disgusting. Throwing rocks at the house. From that point forward, this was super common at the Holder residence. Just people showing up in the truckloads, throwing rocks at their windows. Now, when Mary Holder, the mom, she would go grocery shopping, women, other housewives, would spit in her face and told her not to touch the vegetables with her quote-unquote dirty hands. So the holder kids, they were bullied, jumped at the playground. I mean, Roger's little brother, Danny, had to be hospitalized. The doctors were concerned that this kid is going to lose a testicle because he was jumped by fellow kids. I mean, this is insane. The police found out who did it, They're like, oh, this is the name of the boy who almost made Danny lose a testicle. But they never arrested anyone. So, of course, the Holder family, they were rightfully enraged. They filed a suit against the state of Oregon saying, hey, you guys are failing to protect my family's civil rights and I demand compensation. And his Navy superiors told him, drop it and take your ass back to Alameda, California. We don't want to piss off Coos Bay. So they start packing up the house and Roger was super upset. He was like, this was supposed to be a new fresh start. I was so excited and I just got bullied this entire time. Why? Because we're black. This is crazy. So on his last couple of days, he starts exploring the Empire Lakes, a very popular area. And he sees this little girl dipping jars into the water and she looks like eight years old. Right. So he's like, what are you guys doing? We're catching salamanders. And he looks inside the jar and he sees little creatures moving around. And he says, those aren't salamanders. They're tadpoles, like baby frogs. Mm -hmm. And that girl looks him straight in the eye. This little, you know, eight-year-old white girl. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And she reaches into the jar, pulls one up by its tail and says, I know a baby salamander when I see one. And he had no idea what to say because this girl is ballsy. She just reached in there, grabbed it with her hands. So he's like, huh. And she's so happy with herself. And she says, well, next time I see you, I hope you've learned a lot more about salamanders. Bye. And she runs off with her brother. Mm. Now, Roger thought that he would never see her again because he's leaving Coos Bay. But they will reunite and they will hijack a plane together
1: what what kind of uh
0: situation right so 4 days later the holder family leaves they had been there for less than 3 months they go back to california and roger his soul was crushed i mean he's super religious just like his family and he's like that doesn't make sense mm-hmm. we we're not even trying to be rich like we're just trying to make a living in oregon and we got pushed out because of blatant racist disgusting people so he starts isolating himself and he's building these models of trains and planes and helicopters and he's so into it he's kind of what you would call geeky right Mm -hmm. and he still got bullied when he got back to california his black peers would say that he's too white his white peers didn't want to hang out with him because he was black so he's like in this middle of like what does this even mean who am i now most girls though They all really liked him of all races. Okay, Roger Holder was a very charismatic dude. I mean, he was charming. He had this quirkiness about him. He seemed so mature, but also just someone that you could listen to talk like they just talk and talk. And you're like, wow, I feel like everything you're saying is so fancy. What's going on? So by the time he's 16, he gets his girlfriend, Betty Bullock, pregnant with twins. He's like, well, shit, I'm in the 11th grade. I got to make some money. I'm about to have two, two babies on the way. What do I do? Well, I guess I'm going to follow in my dad's footsteps. And he starts enlisting in the army. Even though he didn't graduate high school, his IQ was extremely high. He passed extremely intelligent scorings on the armed forces qualification test. So this guy is smart. So when he's in training, his girlfriend gives birth to the twins. They're named Teresa and Tarita. And he finds out that, oh, shit, I'm going to be sent to Vietnam now. I'm going into the war. He's like 17, 18 years old at this point. So he stops by in California before he leaves for Vietnam, marries Betty, says hello to his daughters, and then leaves. He's stationed in the thick jungles of Vietnam. And he starts getting really paranoid. I mean, the Vietnamese troops, they were masters at paranoia. They filled the jungle with smart booby traps. I mean, American troops were just questioning every single footstep that they ever made when they were in Vietnam. And at night, Vietnamese troops, they would try to deprive the American troops of sleep. So they would make these loud noises. They would literally schedule attacks in the middle of the night. And Roger, like many of his peers, he was suffering from overwhelming anxiety. So he starts smoking weed in Vietnam. And on one specific morning, he wakes up and he's got malaria. But he doesn't even have time. He's like, yeah, I've got malaria, but I don't have time for medical attention. I gotta go. So he smokes a couple of joints. That's what he calls the breakfast of champions at war. And he gets into his tank with his fellow crewmates. And the driver was super conscious. It wasn't Roger. It was a different crewmate. And he's Mm -hmm. like, yes, there's gonna be tons of booby traps. We gotta be careful. So instead of going down the trail, maybe I'll kind of reverse into this tall patch of grass. Maybe there's less booby traps here. And so as he's reversing, Roger turns around to make sure there's nothing behind and all of a sudden his eardrums shatter and the whole world goes white and the next thing roger remembers is that he's in the middle of the road his shirt and helmet were gone and he crawls back to the tank the landmine had completely obliterated a military tank one of his crewmates was torn completely in half another one had clumps of brain just coming out of his ear So Roger collapses and his spine is nearly severed. He had to spend the next six weeks at a hospital recovering. His back would eventually recover, but like mentally, no way. There's no way you're recovering from something like that. Seeing all your crewmates like that. How do you even how do you even get started in that process? So once he goes back to his station, his 18 year old best friend, his best crewmate was killed by a booby trap. The trap took off both of his arms and he bled to death in the jungle and Roger couldn't even cry because crying is a sign of weakness and this was a full year in Vietnam so after this he signs up for another six-month tour because what else can he do right and at first he's like well I'm gonna go home before my next tour and see my kids so he goes back to California and he's excited to see Betty his wife right and his twins but when he walks into his house she is in bed with a former high school classmate He completely beat the guy up to a pulp, and he finds out that Betty had actually been sleeping with multiple different men. So before he leaves California, he drops off the two twin daughters to be raised by his parents, and he returns to war. And interestingly enough, he kept his ring on even though he knew that he didn't want to get back with Betty. He was never going to get back with Betty. It's divorce for sure, but he didn't want his comrades to know that she had cheated on him while he's at war. Damn. Yeah, so he just starts getting promoted and promoted. So he's sent to this like top league called the Tiger's Helicopter Unit. I mean, it's a glamorous unit, apparently, and you airlift troops into combat zones. So he would ride this helicopter around the top of the thick jungles and then they would shoot down at Vietnamese troops and he would literally see them die. And this caused even more anxiety and depression because it's almost like seeing ants scattered and then you see them drop dead because you and your troops are shooting at them. Mm -hmm. So he would self-medicate with more marijuana and then he starts getting better at his job. He was the crew chief. After six months there, he got promoted again to the 120th Assault Helicopter Company's Gunship Platoon. The slogan of this unit is, death is our business, business is good.
1: So death is good is what they're trying to say pretty
0: much and that's when everything started falling apart because he like a lot of other veterans had the same question why are we killing all these vietnamese people How is that really doing anything? Mm -hmm. A lot of the people that we're killing are like these young Vietnamese teenagers. Why are we killing just random teenagers? What is going on? So he starts self-medicating more and then he gets in trouble because he got arrested by buying marijuana in Vietnam. And when he's returned to the army, so he went off to like a little town, Mm -hmm. bought it from a Vietnamese dealer and um, the Vietnamese police arrested him. So they're like, what are you doing here in this town, American? Do they um, they
1: know he's part of?
0: Yeah. And so they were like, whatever, we're not going to deal with you. Um, They didn't want to like kill him or hold him hostage. They were just like, I'm sending you back to the army. So they dragged them back to the army and the army was pissed. I mean, this looks bad. What are you doing? You're supposed to be fighting a war, not smoking. What the heck? So he gets six months in the army prison, which, geez, Louise, I think it's worse than regular prison from what I hear. I don't know. And he got demoted demoted. This was really bad timing. So America was using marijuana as an excuse for all the shitty behavior in the war. So if there's a war crime, oh no, it's not because America told them to commit war crimes. No way. It's because these soldiers are becoming addicted to marijuana and they're just, you know, going off and doing their own thing. They're hallucinating. So there was a massacre in which American soldiers slaughtered hundreds of Vietnamese villagers, just civilians, villagers. And they said, well, oh, it's not because America wanted that to happen. It's because the veterans, they were they were smoking weed. They had a psychotic episode, and they murdered these people, thinking that they were, you know, troops. But they weren't. So his punishment was really intense. He gets sent to the military uh, prison. He spent about 29 days there, and then he signed up for his fourth tour in Vietnam. Now, once his fourth tour starts, he had been so demoted that he's getting paid like next to nothing. And he's super pissed about this. What do you mean? I'm so good at my job. This is like such a small mistake. I have been fighting, like literally putting my life on the line for this and you're demoting me? And he yells at the colonel. He starts yelling.
1: Oh, man.
0: And so they're like, you can't do this anymore. Vietnam's getting to you. So we're going to send you back to Fort Hood, Texas and you're going to finish your commitment, your next tour on base in Fort Hood. So he gets to Texas and after three weeks he realizes, well, first of all, Texas is too slow, especially compared to the war in Vietnam. Like it just felt like everything was so dull and just like, what am I doing? F- mm-hmm. Fixing up engines? What? What? What is this? I need to be out there fighting, doing something. What am I doing with my life? And then he realized the the army doesn't care about him. I don't want to spend time here anymore. So he just goes AWOL. He wakes up one morning, walks off the base, and never comes back. This is a really bad thing to do if you're in the army. They will hunt you down. Seriously. Yeah. Thank you. Hi, I'm 25 and I don't have my life together and I definitely need counseling. There is nothing wrong with that. And if there's something that you feel like is interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can actually start communicating with them in under 48 hours, which is crazy. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. So they have a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in a lot of areas and on top of that this service is available for clients worldwide so all you have to do is log into your account at any time on your couch eating dinner send a message to your counselor and you get a timely and thoughtful response plus you can even schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you never have to sit in that uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy better help is also committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free for you to change counselors if needed which is amazing because i feel like most of the counselors are amazing, but that doesn't mean that they're a perfect fit with me. It's also more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted on a daily basis. Visit betterhelp.com rotten that's better H-E-L-P and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're actually recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Rotten Mango listeners can get 10% off of their first month at betterhelp.com/rotten. So he goes back to California and he lies to them and he tells them that I was honorably discharged and I need to look for a job. So his dad gets him a job at a local restaurant and he's a cook. And he's like, this is really hard. It's hard to be like stir frying food after flying helicopters in Vietnam. Like it just feels demeaning almost. What is this? What am I doing? So he saves up enough money. He buys a fake social security number to change his identity because like I said, the army is looking for him. And he uses the name Linton Charles White. And he decides to move to San Diego. And in San Diego, his new favorite thing to do is find wives of men who are serving in Vietnam and seduce these wives. Probably because Betty, his wife, cheated on him when he was in Vietnam. And he would sweet talk these women into giving him loans that he knew that he was never going to pay back. He would just be like, oh, yeah, I'm a Vietnam War veteran, just like your husband. And they would give him a little bit of cash. And that is what he lived off of. And the dude's just going through it. I mean, he needed A lot of help mentally. I mean, he was in war. He needs a lot of therapy. He needs something, but he didn't have any guidance, nothing. He's literally running from the army. So his life starts falling apart and he decides to look at astrology. He thought astrology is going to tell me what I meant to do. It's going to tell me what I'm supposed to do with my life. And he believed that the stars told him the reason that he's having all these hardships and these obstacles in his life is because he's destined to do something something extraordinary. But what is it? And he starts looking for all these signs around him. He's looking at every billboard. He's looking at little small things. He's like, what is the universe telling me to do with my life? So Kathy meets Roger again, which by the way, oh my gosh, I forgot to mention. There's this book called The Skies Belong to Us, Love and Terror in the Golden Age of Hijacking by Brendan um, Corner. Corner. (laughs) and it's so oh my god he goes so in depth on everything even the war even all of these like political stuff it's so entertaining and so interesting i highly recommend it but anyways back to san diego so roger has a couple of roommates and um you know they kind of like move out and he meets one of them again her name is um beth newhouse So they meet again and he's like, oh, where have you been living these days? How have you been doing? And she's like, well, I live over here. I'm doing okay." So he decides to give her a visit. He knocks on that apartment door looking for Beth Newhouse. But instead, a 20 year old Kathy opens the door, a Kathy Kirko. And she wasn't expecting any visitors. So she opens it and she's in a towel. She had just been showering. So she's like, "Uh, hello, what is this tall, handsome black man doing here? Like, what's going on? And he's like, oh, I'm looking for uh, Beth Newhouse. Is she here? Mm -hmm. Oh, no, that's my roommate. She's she's running errands. And he just turns around and leaves without saying goodbye. So Kathy's really confused, not because he didn't say goodbye, but because she's like, I know him from somewhere. Why do I know him from somewhere? That's so strange. I feel like I do. So 20 minutes later, he comes back with Beth, and he introduces himself as Roger Holder. She's Mm -hmm. like, man, but the name doesn't ring a bell at all. Now, Beth doesn't really like Roger. Because she thought he was strange. You know, they used to be former neighbors and roommates. But he went by a completely different name. He said his name was Charles. But now he's saying his name is Roger. Why would he change his name? Yeah, Only shady people it? change their names.
1: So why did he give his real name?
0: I don't know. Oh. He just decided I'm going to give my real name. So she's like, that's weird. Beth, the roommate, is like, that's weird. I don't want him around. So she keeps trying to get him to leave the apartment. But Kathy wanted to figure out how do we know each other? How? How? Mm -hmm. so roger offers to take them out to breakfast that weekend and beth the roommate she declines but kathy was like yeah absolutely because this is going to bother the crap out of me if i don't figure out how we know each other
1: do you think she's interested in him
0: yeah i think so and (laughs) And, he's
1: kind of interested too Oh, for sure yeah
0: and a couple days later he picks her up and they get to the restaurant and roger tells her i'm kind of dying i know you from somewhere i just don't know where And she's like, oh, my God, me, too. I was that was literally bothering me for so long. But here's the thing. I've only been in San Diego for like the past five months. If I met you in the past five months, that would be crazy that I forgot you. Right. Uh And he's like, huh. Well, what about San Diego? What about before San Diego? Oh, oh, God, you wouldn't even. It's like this. I'm from like a tiny town in Oregon. It's called Coos Bay. No one's ever heard of it. It's like super isolated. It's like a logging town. And he's like, oh, I know Coos Bay. I've been in Coos Bay. What? So Catherine Marine Kirkow, she was born in Coos Bay to Bruce and Patricia. These are her parents. And she was the firstborn child. But by the time that she's six years old, she's got three younger siblings. Now, Bruce, the dad, he was working for this company as a truck driver. But his real passion was in jazz. He just wanted to be in a jazz band. But this is impossible because, you know, how are you going to get that career? How are you going to make money? Now you have this entire family to support. And with every child that's that's now born into the family, he starts feeling more and more trapped. So when Kathy's in middle school, the dad just leaves. They get a divorce and the dad's like, I'm going to California and I'm going to figure out my jazz dreams. So Patricia, she's this full time secretary, just a single mom, just struggling. Her husband left her for jazz, and now Kathy's got to step it up. She's got to take care of all the younger brothers, and she never once complained. But by the time that she gets into high school, she starts having a bit of a rebellious streak. She's like, you know what? I'm too much of an adult now. I gotta, I gotta be a kid for once. And she took after her dad. She wanted to become a singer one day. But in high school, all she really wanted to do was date people. She was fired from all of her jobs. She couldn't really stay in community college. She didn't get enough credits. She would start shoplifting, like things like lipstick, and just. just She just wanted something different. And then she gets a call from an old high school friend by the name of Beth. And Beth had moved to San Diego and she has moved into this new apartment. She had this roommate briefly that just left without a word. And now she has nobody to split the rent with. Hey, do you want to move to San Diego? So she's thinking, that's, that's exciting. San Diego, California. So she packs up all of her bags in her little Volkswagen Beetle and drives to San Diego. Now, once she's there, she realizes, oh shit, I need to pay rent. (laughs) Like this is, I still need to work. So she starts working at a local massage place. And she believed that this particular job would just be massaging people. But her first client, completely nude, flopped over and just was helicopter dangling it in front of her and was like, what are you going to do about it? And so she was like, "Um, "Okay." So she gave him and I quote a rub and tug like a happy ending massage in exchange for tips. And she started giving these to her clients and she told her mom back at home. No, 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 mom, don't worry about me. I'm a receptionist at a doctor's office and this still wasn't enough money. So Kathy and Beth, the roommate, they start selling some weed on the side, but they weren't good weed dealers because they would smoke it themselves most of the time. So they just, they were, it was a shit show. So to Kathy, this is a crazy coincidence. You know, I can't believe you're the guy that I was, wait, That time that I was looking for salamanders, that was you and your brother that walked up to me and you said that's a tadpole and I told you it's a salamander. That's you?
1: Star aligned. (laughs) Yeah, and she's
0: like, what a small world. But to Roger, this was the ultimate sign. This was the universe brought Kathy back into his life and the two of them were meant to do something special together. Not get married, not have a family. Something extraordinary. Something life-changing. So in the background, you know, Roger's dating Kathy. They start dating and seeing each other romantically. And he's still looking for more signs from the universe. What is that something? I know that I'm supposed to do it with Kathy, but what are we doing? And behind all of this are just nonstop news filled with skyjackers. Crazy things were happening in the sky. I mean, these hijackings were super casual. And it kind of kicked off with a, an electrician named Antulio ramirez Ortez in Miami. He, he boarded a flight to Key West, from Miami to Key West, but he sneaks into the cockpit and puts a steak knife up to the pilot's throat. A steak knife, not even like a butcher's knife, a steak knife. Not saying that's not scary, but like a hijacking with a steak knife? That's a little weird. And he says, take me to Cuba. If I don't see Havana, the capital of Cuba, in 30 minutes, we're all going to die. So the pilot reroutes to Cuba, and he says, why do you want to go to Cuba? What's in Cuba, right? And he claims, well, I'm going to, someone's trying to assassinate Castro, and I'm Cuban. I got to warn him. I got to warn Castro that he's about to die. Mm -hmm. So the plane heads for Cuba. They land safely. Cuba takes in Antulio and the passengers, they eat a nice chicken lunch and they're free to go back to Key West. There was only three hour delay from this hostage crisis. The FBI shrugged it off. They said, well, Antulio is delusional. The skyjacker is nothing more than, and I quote, a wild eccentric with no purpose in mind. And he probably won't repeat this. Probably no one will repeat this.
1: So the dude really just went wanted to go to Cuba. Yeah. That's all his motive was.
0: Yeah, and Cuba was having, um and still is, very rough relations with the United States. So Cuba mm-hmm. decides, yeah, we're going to send the plane back. I mean, we're going to charge the airline like a couple grand to get their plane back, their million dollar plane back. But we're going to keep this guy. We're going to give him asylum. So he would be free. He wouldn't have any Mm. jail time because he's not sent back to America. Now, the incidents just kept coming from there. There was a guy named Bruce Pitt who boarded a plane from California. And he says, take me to Arkansas. They're like, freaking Arkansas. Why do you want to go to Arkansas? He's like, well, my wife lives there and we haven't been talking for a while. And I'm just trying to fly back to Arkansas so that I can tell her that I still love her. Anyway, take me to Arkansas. What? So they land in Arkansas and he shoots the plane's captain, blinding the captain for life. So it's like, what is happening? Now you're thinking, well, the government has got to do something about this, right? So they said, okay, well, now the airlines are required to lock their doors. The cockpit has to lock their door and you have to get firearms training. The pilots need to be trained in dealing with a gun because they're all going to have guns on the plane. Imagine just a bunch of guns on the plane. That's not that's not. that's the last place you want to shoot out. And the government did not make any commitment to make it a crime. Everyone would still be charged for run of the mill kidnapping, assault. That's it. So then Congress starts talking. Well, what if we screen the passengers? You know, just make sure that there's no guns in their carry on bags, no snake steak knives then we would be okay, right? But the airlines were pissed. Even congressmen were pissed. They said, can you imagine the line that would form at the ticket counter if the police inspected the passengers? Okay, well, what if if we do something high-tech? Metal detectors, x-ray machines, those are faster. The airlines... Hated this. They hated this more than hijackings. The periodic skyjackings to Cuba, they would pay Castro about $20,000 to get their million dollar plane back. The passengers were usually unharmed. Nobody died. Nobody sued the company. And the airlines were okay with this. We don't care about criminals. Just just let us make money. Security at airports, we would lose customers. We would lose money. So they get all of these lobbyists, some of the top lobbyists in D.C. to strictly get members of Congress to oppose electronic screening at airports. So again, the skyjackings just keep continuing. And their reasoning for this was that uh, screenings, like a TSA check, would Mm. have a bad psychological effect on passengers. It would scare the pants off of people. Plus, people would complain about invasion of privacy. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but I would rather you search my carry-on than get hijacked. <laughs> That's just yeah. me. So the aliens, I mean, I guess it yeah. makes
1: sense. I can totally see how this whole thing oh, yeah. evolved yeah. from this to today. Like, it makes <laughs> Slowly sense. and just yeah.
0: more c- catastrophic each time. Yeah. And you're like, maybe we'll have a canine Because at dog. first, I
1: can't imagine. I totally can see it. Americans yeah. like, no, we can't do this. And you
0: know what's interesting? The main um, lobbyist for the bill to do mm-hmm. screenings was the American automotive industry. They said, put the screenings on the airports so people keep driving. (laughs) Hashtag road trip. (laughs) Don't fly a plane, you'll get hijacked. (laughs) Drive to your fellow states. So the airline's new policy was that they just tell their employees absolute compliance. Take them to Cuba. Just do it. Don't let anyone get hurt. They started putting flight charts in all the flights to Cuba. There was a map to Cuba, even if you were headed to JFK, New York City. You're like, just in case, here's a map to Cuba. (laughs) Even if no one went there, take them wherever they want. We don't want anyone dying because we'll get sued. Then we'll lose money. The last thing the airline wants to do is lose money. The pilots were even giving these like language phrase cards in Spanish. And they would say things like, I must open my flight bag for maps. Can't make it to Cuba because low fuel. They would just say they had these little go-to cards for hostage takings. There were travel guides written by passengers, not by the airlines. Uh, think of like a trip advisor that says, hey, in case of a hijacking, as a fellow passenger, don't push that stewardess call button. You know, the little button that you press for a flight attendant, the bing. Yeah. Because that sudden being in the cockpit might scare the skyjacker. But usually, don't worry. The skyjackers, they're sweet. They're super sweet. One instance, there was a group of three men skyjacking a plane to Cuba and they hung out with the passengers and at the end as everyone deboarded the plane they handed out a bullet to each survivor as a souvenir here you go passenger here's a bullet when you get to cuba here's here's the coolest part you'll be treated by the airline at a nightclub with free drinks they have really good shopping downtown havana is better than anywhere else the cigars and rums oh god you got to pick up some cigars and rums and then you get back onto the plane and you go to the the destination that you were trying to get to so they're
1: glamorizing
0: yeah, Hijacking. they're like, if you get hijacked and you make a detour to Cuba, here are the best restaurants you need to try. <laughs> like, what
1: are you Wait, saying? So what, is, what are these people doing? They have no money motive?
0: No, not in the beginning. All of them were just usually mentally ill. Or um, some of the reasons were there was a guy who escaped from Cuba, came to the United States and missed his mom's frijoles so much that he hijacked a plane back to Cuba. I'm not making this up. It's real.
1: But why can't they just fly directly to Cuba?
0: I don't think you could. So they were like, yeah, I'm just going to hijack a plane to Cuba. So in over a month, there were 11 skyjackings. A community college student skyjacked by having bug spray as a weapon. He went into the cockpit and was like, I'll fucking spray you, okay? take me take me to cuba there was a hijacker that was wearing beachwear, like full-on swimsuit trunks and flip-flops because he was ready to hit the beach when they <laughs> landed in cuba i mean what are you talking about people there was a former uh, mental patient that's a dad who was literally hijacking in the cockpit holding his three-year-old son it was like take me to freaking cuba what?
1: <laughs> Cuba's tourists and charts <laughs> all the way up <laughs> all the way,
0: to the moon <laughs> and it started getting out of control again the house committee on interstate and foreign commerce said we need a task force for hijackings so they put out this word they said hey Americans we're trying to deal with the skyjackings we hear you it's an inconvenience what do you think we should do so these amazing amazing Americans so proud to be American they start sending in all of these great ideas they said okay well I have an idea why don't you arm all the flight attendants with tranquilizer darts so they can
1: (laughs) tranquilize
0: and then another one said okay every single airplane passenger has to wear boxing gloves during the entire flight so that they can't even pick up a gun or a knife you know your hands are full (laughs) it's a boxing glove and then another person was like in the beginning before takeoff you play the cuban national anthem if anyone hums along or knows the lyrics arrest them arrest them immediately we're going to cuba arrest them And then this is one that they actually considered The government actually considered this They considered building a fake airport That looks just like the Cuban airport With staff that was dressed Just like the Cuban airport And they would go there instead of Cuba And the hijacker would think I'm in Cuba Mm. Meanwhile the FBI is inside Because you're Mm. in Florida He he jokes on you But the only reason that they didn't do this Mm -hmm. Is not because it's the most insane idea
1: I kind of like it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, i kind of no, like it, it. <laughs> it's like everybody's just role-playing
0: yes. <laughs> welcome to cuba we've <laughs> got like a fidel castro <laughs> imposter yeah, I, I yeah. Ca-
1: i'm into it you're
0: into it it turns out you're in florida
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah but the reason that they didn't do this is because it was going to be really expensive they were like that's just too much money we can't huh. do that okay <laughs> so there was a man that would be a direct inspiration to roger holder and his name was melito erpino he was an italian man he came to seattle as a teenager and he enlisted in the marines and he hated his commanders he hated the marines because they were literally blatantly racist just full-on racist to him they would send him to walk into the woods first so that they can walk safely and not get blown up by these mines so he's like this is insane so he finally decides to leave the marines and he had set aside a hundred eight hundred dollars from his military salary But the unit informed him, no, you only told us to set aside 600. We only have 600 for you. He's like, no, it's 800. Well, you must have done your math wrong. It's $600. So this $200 pissed him off so much. He broke into the military base, took precisely $200 worth of radios and wristwatches, and he was super drunk. So by the time he sobers up, he realizes, I'm going to get freaking arrested for this, okay? I'm going to spend the rest of my life in jail. So instead of waiting to be arrested, he takes a bus to LAX, buys a ticket to San Francisco, and in his bag, he had a rifle and 250 rounds of bullets. And he goes up to a flight attendant mid-flight with the gun pointed at her. He told her what he wants. And she was so shocked. Not because he had a gun. Not because this was a skyjacking. They're used to it. But because he wanted to go to the New York City. You don't want to go to Cuba? Are you sure? What What kind of idiot wants to stay in the U.S.? That doesn't make sense fine it's your prerogative so she goes to the cockpit and she's like hey this motherfucker wants to go to new york city what an idiot huh not even cuba so they're like giggling they land in new york city he demands that they refuel the plane and he wants the plane to take him straight back to his native country italy they're like what (laughs) why
1: did you go to new york city then to
0: refuel from LAX because they weren't That's gonna make fu- it. That's yeah. far. Okay, All so, right. is so he like- mapped <laughs> it out. He's like, okay, I have <laughs> yeah.
1: to take a stop here and
0: and refuel, and then we're gonna go to Italy. Now the FBI was pissed when they show up at JFK because they're like, we gotta we gotta bombard this plane while they're refueling because Cuba's one thing. Freaking Italy, are you kidding me? But the FBI, as they're approaching, they hear a gun go off in the plane. Nobody was injured. He shot off um at the top ceiling, which I'm sure is so dangerous for a plane.
1: No, there's a hole.
0: Yeah, or something like that. But he shut it off. No one's injured. The plane is ready to go. And the FBI backs off. So the plane departs for Rome, Italy. And he escaped capture. In Rome, he steals a police car right after they land. The plane, they're, they're free to go back to the United States. And he hides in a rural church. Eventually, the next morning, Italian police arrest him. But the public, the public opinion in Italy, they were pissed. They heard his story. He He's a hero. He doesn't mm. deserve arrest. He is the only brave one that stood up to the giant power of America. This guy, he didn't hurt anyone. He didn't deserve this. It really helped that he was incredibly attractive and girls were just standing the shit out of him. So because of this public pressure, Italy couldn't extradite him to the United States. And they said, "Well, Okay, America, don't be pissed off. We're just going to try him in Rome instead for weapons possessions because air piracy is not a crime in Italy. Skyjacking's not a crime in Italy yet, okay? So they're like, for weapons possessions. So during the trial, he was charged, spent 18 months in prison. Immediately after he gets released, he started in an Italian movie. and america was pissed they said excuse me italy first of all you're a close ally you're a founding member of nato and now you're holding a fugitive you're telling him that he's courageous for standing up to us and he's a sex symbol like why is he on a movie poster what's going on later he opened up a pizzeria called hijacking and he continues to live in italy i mean he's considered a hero he gets he gets visitors all the freaking time So airlines, again, they're like, we don't care. That's diplomatic relations. As long as we don't lose passengers, we don't lose money, we don't give a fork. So they started having hijacking insurance. Like, you know, when you buy a plane ticket right now, you can get like a a weather insurance or whatever. They said for $75, you can get $500 compensation for every day of captivity by a hijacker, $2,500 in medical coverage, and a whopping $5,000 in the event of death and dismemberment.
1: I love it. The (laughs) airlines goes... How do we turn an unfortunate <laughs> situation into a money-making activity? Yes. (laughs)
0: precisely so roger truly believes he's reading all this news he's reading about this italian guy who's now this folk hero he's this movie star and he's like this is my destiny so he starts driving her to work kathy to work he's dating her they move in together and he bargains with the army he says i'm gonna turn myself in and if i avoid any military prison can you just consider my awol an undesired discharge so during the Vietnam War, they had a spike in people going AWOL, uh-huh. which like, I mean, I get it, right? And so they were like, fine, we don't want to waste money. We don't want to waste funds. So fine, you're a dishonorably discharged, leave. You're not spending time in prison. But uh, Roger's parents find out about this. And because they're a military family, they decided, we don't want anything to do with you, Roger. You can visit your daughters, but that's it. We don't want you as a son. It's summertime, you want to be outside You want to get some vitamin D But where are you going to put that beautiful booty? I am obsessed with outdoor furniture from Article, because here's the thing, when we first Moved into this house, I just started picking Random outdoor furniture, none of it's really That comfortable, I just don't find myself Utilizing it, until I found Article, because their pieces are so Functional, so comfortable, and on Top of that, affordable, they have This new outdoor look called Garden Terrace, and it's a handpicked series Featuring laid-back, elegant designs for outdoor lounging, dining, and more. I mean, lunch in a garden... Yes. Thank you very much. Article combines the curation of a boutique furniture store with the comfort and simplicity of shopping online. They have a team of designers that focus on beautifully crafted pieces, quality materials, and durable construction. They're actually inspired by a variety of modern design aesthetics like mid-century, Scandinavian, industrial, and even bohemian. They also have incredibly fair prices. So you save up to 30% over traditional retail prices and they keep their prices so low because they cut out the middleman. They sell directly to you so you don't have to go into these showrooms and have all these salespeople. that's like oh how's that feel for you and you're just sitting on this couch like Feels good, sir. Feels good. (laughs) There's no retail markups. Fast, affordable shipping is available across the USA and Canada and is free on orders over $999. And right now, Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. Go to article.com slash rotten and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash rotten to get $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. And he gets prescribed this heavy dose of tranquilizers and he just keeps, you know, taking these drugs and he starts having these visions of his crewmates bloodied and dismembered in the jungle. And meanwhile, he's thinking, okay, I got to do something. I got to do something. There was like this mixture of these skyjackings on the news, his feeling that the universe wants him to do something and then his PTSD from war. And they were all going to merge into this big bubble that was about to explode. Kathy doesn't really know all of this okay she's having a stellar time she's 20 years old and she's like wow I'm dating a real bad boy like all these other guys in San Diego they're fake bad boys but this guy he's actually seen some stuff and that was really attractive to her now they were not doing financially well at all Roger made her quit her job because he found out that they were doing happy endings and they were just making money dealing drugs but like I said they sucked at it because both of them would just smoke the weed and never deal it so they were just constantly losing money but she would stress and Roger would tell her, it's okay. The universe will provide. We will never want for anything. And Roger refused to work. So he just read books about astrology. He wanted to understand the Zodiac. He thought about, maybe I move to Costa Rica and I do some groundbreaking research in the jungle. Maybe I'll go to China. No, no, no. These are all too small. My mission has something to do with Vietnam something about Vietnam. So he starts browsing the news again and he comes across the murder trial of Angela Davis. I already know she's like such a big name, an amazing person. She's an American political advocate, um, an activist, a philosopher, an academic, a scholar, right? She was on the Netflix documentary 13th. I feel like that's that was really popular, right? And she's on the Times, the 100 Most Influential People of 2020. She's done a lot of amazing work in America. We're not going to go down that rabbit hole, but she was involved in a murder trial at the same time that this was happening. So a 17-year-old named Jonathan went into a courtroom, took defendants, a judge, a prosecutor, and three jurors hostage, which ensued in a police shootout that killed the judge and three other men involved. Now, Angela Davis was the owner of one of the guns used by this 17-year-old because she was a political activist and she was getting she was way ahead of her time. She was getting death threats. So she had given this 17-year-old Jonathan, here's a gun, you're my bodyguard. She hired him as a bodyguard. And on his off time, he committed this atrocious crime. So because it was her gun, America decided she's going to have to stand trial for murder, even though she had nothing to do with it, because it was her gun. And now... America's track record is not good with stuff like this. So she became the third woman on the FBI's most wanted top 10 fugitive list. And eventually she was caught and thousands around the United States protested. They wanted to get her released. Committees were formed. John Lennon wrote a song titled Angela for her release and finally after 16 months in jail she was released on bail and her trial was taking place and it's crazy i mean a lot of people came forward to really help her a well-off dairy farmer paid for her bail that was like a hundred thousand dollars so now she's sitting in trial we don't know is she gonna be found guilty with an all-white juror she's a black woman Mm -hmm. right how is this gonna go everyone was outraged everyone was so nervous for angela davis and he thinks huh Maybe my plan has something to do with Vietnam skyjacking and Angela Davis. So he's putting together these pieces, but he's not getting the full picture yet. He's just picking these like news titles. That's like, oh, I think that's a sign and -hmm. just collecting them in his brain. But he has no idea what's happening yet. It's like this really scattered idea. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the skyjacking world takes a turn. There's a new MO taking place. Ransom. And Arthur Gates Barkley, he was fired from his job, and the IRS handed him a $500 tax bill. It was like, you got to pay us $500. But he believed that the IRS miscalculated it. He was like, whoa, I didn't make that much money. So he gets on a plane to Washington, D.C. with a gun, a razor, and a can of gasoline. And he tells the captain, I'm taking over. So they're like, well, where do you want to go? And he says, I don't want to go anywhere. I want $100 million in small bills, and I want it taken from the Supreme Court. And they're like, what? Okay. I." <laughs>
1: He is asking for a hundred million dollars, and
0: they're like, "That doesn't in, in in today's money, that would be even more.
1: Yeah, that'd be like a
0: billion dollars or something insane. Yeah. Okay. So he's like, "What? What? What are you talking about? The captain's like, "That doesn't make any sense. The airline, we can maybe gather like $100,000. And so when they land, the sack of money is delivered to the plane. And Arthur is super pissed. He said, I asked for $100 million, and I got 100000 That's not even negotiating. What even is this? That's not compromise. He pours all the money into the cockpit floor and he forces the captain to take off again. And he radios a message for President Nixon. And he says, you don't know how to count money. And you don't even know the rules of law. So they're circling around D.C., just like a plane in the sky hijacked, circling around D.C. That's like a freaking nightmare, right? And he says, last chance. I want $100 million or else everybody dies. So the FBI, they get on top of it and they say, "Okay, we'll give you $100 million. Please land at the D.C. airport. We're going to have sacks of money. So they borrowed, you know, those massive mail sacks that you sometimes see at the airport carrying like letters and stuff. Mm hmm huge. They got a hundred of them and they said each one is stuffed with $1 million cash, but they were actually stuffed with newspapers and they lined them up on the plane runway, the plane lands and he's looking around and he's like, okay, that looks like a hundred hundred sex. That's a hundred million dollars finally. So as they're landing, this panicked passenger is like, it's my time. It's my time to go. So he opens up the emergency landing and just jumps out the plane. I mean, he's safe. He doesn't die. But this causes FBI to just go full on chaos mode. They board the plane. They start running towards the cockpit. You know, Arthur realizes what's about to happen. So he shoots the co-pilot in the stomach. The FBI just shoots the shit out of him. His hand was shot. He survived the incident. But this was going to be a press nightmare because money was covered on the cockpit floor because he was pissed. Remember he dumped out all the money Mm -hmm. and now it's covered in blood because two people were shot. I mean, this was going to be a frenzy. So the FBI decides we're going to start ramping things up. If a plane is idle and it's refueling at the airport before they head to Cuba or wherever, Italy, we're going to have snipers come in. We're going to take down the hostage taker. We're going to kill him. So this is around the time that DB Cooper hijacks a plane and becomes almost an urban legend of sorts.
1: So that was probably the peak of, all of that right yeah
0: so he boards a flight in portland you know shortly after taking off he tells the flight attendant i have a bomb in my briefcase i want two hundred thousand dollars in cash which is about like 1.3 million dollars in today's money i want four parachutes and uh they land in seattle he gets everything on the plane he says captain take me to new mexico before they even pass oregon's border he just jumps straight off the plane into a hailstorm with the money and he was never seen again now the theories are interesting did he survive is he somewhere living as a rich man living the dream skydivers say that it's unlikely because the plane was going at 195 miles an hour and they said that if you jump out of a plane like that as an unexperienced skydiver which db cooper was because he didn't even ask for a helmet a crash helmet or anything then you probably would have been knocked unconscious immediately and if if he survived the drop into the hailstorm without protective gear i mean it's just all rivers and lakes in oregon Mm -hmm. they couldn't find his body though they couldn't find the money either so there is a chance that he did survive. I think it's a better story if he survived. So we'll go with that. <laughs> so there was a few more afterwards. There was a Richard LaPointe who was in the army. He wanted a $50,000 ransom and two parachutes. Jumped off of Colorado, um, over Colorado. And unlike D.B. Cooper, he asked for a crash helmet. Now, he's really well versed in skydiving. The only problem was, well, a couple of things. The parachutes were bugged with location trackers. So the police were going to find him. The second thing was he was wearing cowboy boots. He didn't, he didn't wear sneakers or combat boots. So when he lands on the ground, he breaks his ankle. And the FBI is tracking him. So he's just laying helpless in a field with a sack of money because he has a broken ankle. And the FBI is like, put your hands in the air. And he gets caught because of his cowboy boots. So Roger, he's watching all of this and he's learning stuff from it. So he's thinking, okay, the best way to not fail or die is to avoid as much time as possible, on the ground. That's when the snipers come in. That's when the FBI try to bombard the plane. That's not good. So his whole plan goes like this. He's going to hijack a plane, negotiate to swap all of the passengers for Angela Davis because it's a sign from the universe he's got to save her now he's gonna he's gonna get angela davis on the plane once he gets her on the plane he's gonna order the plane to be flown to north vietnam where we're in war with vietnam right we're still Uh in war and he said the prime minister will of course grant her political asylum because he hates america right now
1: so he just want to save her
0: yeah and he says the media circus will wake up america that vietnam is not That bad. Vietnam is taking in Angela Davis to save her from the American government. It's Uh going to wake up America. The American people are going to realize this war is dumb. On top of that, he's going to ask for, you know, $3 million was his goal, but he gets uh, close to 500K, which in today's dollars is $3 million, right? Mm -hmm. And he was going to make this huge media circus and he was going to donate it to Vietnam when he gets there and show the people, I feel bad. For killing Vietnamese soldiers. This is my repayment. So that was his plan. And he was going to do it with a briefcase bomb. So he grabs his army book called Manual," titled A Guide to Selected Vietnamese Troops Equipment and Explosive Devices. And it had improvised bombs that the Vietnamese troops would make so that the army would be familiar with them. And he saw this briefcase bomb. bomb. And so he's like, this is the one. He decided to name it Operation Sisyphus, which is a sadistic king in Greek mythology that was forced to spend his entire life rolling a, b- a boulder up a hill because he was uh, that evil. So while he's planning this great skyjacking, he's just smoking weed the whole time. So he's got seven different strategies planned out and like none of them are making sense. And he had no clear path. They're all meshing together. But he did know one thing. He was going to wear his army uniform and Kathy was going to be there. They were going to do this together. So they would hijack a plane from LAX to Hawaii. Why to Hawaii? Because that's a long range plane. Mm. So if they land in Hawaii, they could go somewhere else, refuel, and then they can actually make it to Vietnam. Not all planes can make it to Vietnam, right? Mm -hmm. So that was what was going to happen. Angela Davis is in San Francisco. So from Hawaii, they would go to San Francisco. It was going to all be good. The Vietnamese prime minister would meet them at the Vietnam airport and greet them. (laughs) (laughs) and it was just gonna be this amazing thing then afterwards he drops off angela makes the donation he was going to demand the pilot to fly them back to australia and they were going to find this him and kathy were going to find this cute little place and live off the land his parents would ship over the twins and kathy would raise the kids as her own and kathy's hearing this and she's ecstatic she's like okay well what's my job and he says well your job is to do nothing once we get on the plane we're gonna act like we don't know each other you're gonna be a scared passenger and you're just gonna make sure nobody's planning a coup nobody's planning something weird is there an FBI agent sneaking on board you're gonna be on the lookout and I will refer to you as Stan if I ever need you to do something I'll go on the intercom in the plane and I'll say Stan do this stan was his best friend's name in vietnam the one that died from a landmine so they start packing up their things i mean kathy's excited she's 20 she's like hijacking cool australia even cooler so she's like packing up a bunch of bikinis she's like i'm going on vacation (laughs) yeah That's her carry on this new adventure. Roger, on the other hand, has only two small things that he's carrying. A small Samsonite briefcase for his bomb and another one with all of his planning materials. It would have his notebook of notes that for this entire Operation Sisyphus, explosives manual, ransom notes, and of course, his favorite astrological charts and books. So June 2nd of 1972, they get on their first flight from San Diego to LAX. Once they land in LAX, they have their first major issue. Their payment was declined. They can't buy a ticket to Hawaii. They don't have money in the bank. So they're like, what now they remember that she had vouchers with the Western Airlines. So Kathy had these little vouchers that she could turn in, but they weren't enough to make it to Hawaii. They could make it to Seattle instead. So they're like, well, if that's the best we can do, let's board the flight for Seattle. So 1235 p.m., just a little afternoon, they board the plane to Seattle. No assigned seats. They sat apart from each other, acted like they had no idea. And for the next few hours, the plane ride goes smoothly. And Roger's just sitting there freaking out. I gotta do it soon, I gotta do it soon. God, what why what is what's happening? A flight attendant spilled a drink on him, his nerves were just out of this world. Finally, the intercom tells him, They're about to land in twenty-five minutes. So he's saying, Okay. Okay, okay. it's now or never. So he grabs his Samsonite briefcase and he goes and he opens the curtains. The flight attendants approaches Gina, who runs to the cockpit, shows the captain the notes and the captain tells Gina, tell him we'll do anything he wants, but we can't leave this cockpit. Okay, like it's going to it's no, the plane's going to go down. So Roger is like, well, then I want to go inside the cockpit. So the door opens and now he's just standing there in front of these three Western Airlines employees, the pilot, the co-pilot and the other dude, right? And he gives a speech and the whole cockpit was speechless because like, wait, he didn't even tell us what he wants yet. We just listened to him for like the past five minutes telling his life story that he's born and raised where he served in the (sighs) army, his positions. What do you want, dude? Uh And so finally he holds up his briefcase and he says, see, this controls the detonator. There is a grenade in here. The plane is being controlled by the weatherman. So the weatherman was a radical left militant group during the time, and they were super notorious, Um, less so now. So they were against the Vietnam War. They orchestrated a series of bombings in America to let them know, hey, we don't like this war, right? So Roger claims the weatherman came to my house. They're holding my children and my wife hostage. They're forcing me to do this. Four of them are pretending to be passengers on the back of the plane right now. One of them is on LSD. There's a bunch of bombs back there, and there's a girl too. She's like the leader of this all. And we want you to take us to San Francisco. The pilot's like, we can't. We don't even have enough fuel. We need to land in Seattle first to refuel. Listen, we don't care. We'll do whatever you want. We'll go to San Francisco. We'll go to freaking Cuba if that's what you want. But if we don't land in Seattle for fuel, we're going to die. So Roger's like, okay, fine. Also, I want $3 million, which is about $20 million in today's money. They're like, what? They all turn around and they're like, that... D- that's impossible, there's no way, the, the best this airline can do is max 500k, again, three million dollars in today's money, okay, fine, what, <laughs> they're like, okay, this is a little odd, so he's like, oh, oh, yeah, I forgot, and I want uh, five parachutes, Okay, so they radio over to Western Airlines and they're telling him, hey, this plane's been hijacked. This is his list of demands. And the captain goes over the intercom and says, ladies and gentlemen, we have a party up here that doesn't wish to go to our intended destination. We are cooperating with him completely. We will stop in Seattle to refuel and I'll pass along more details as I have them. And people start going hysterical. There was this one lady in first class who was hyperventilating so much, just loudly sobbing that people were scared because she's so close to the cockpit that her husband shoved her head, his wife's head, into his suit jacket until she passed out because they were like, you're going to put us in danger. There were people stuffing their socks with jewelry and cash because they're like, "Mm -mm, this skyjacker is going to try to skyjack me. Not today. Not my diamond ring. They're just stuffing their socks. And Roger didn't like this message. It's not scary enough. So he takes over the intercom and he says, Weathermen, relax, relax. We're encountering absolutely no resistance. They're complying with all of our demands. Passengers, there are weathermen among you. They have a bomb. One of them is on LSD. Remain calm. Don't try anything. These men will blow us all up if anyone steps out of line.
1: Who's the imposter?
0: And they all look around and they see one black man. And oh they're like, my God. well, the guy holding the plane hostage is black. It's got to be the other black dude. <sighs> Kathy herself. I mean, no one's suspecting her, but she couldn't even stop herself from smiling. She didn't know any of these specifics, but she was like, this is freaking genius. She's so excited. What the heck, Kathy? You're weird. So they land in Seattle at 3.14 p.m. The fuel truck comes. They refuel. The passenger tried to open the emergency exit just like the other one. And all the other passengers tackled him. And they were like, weren't you listening? They're weathermen back here with us. Get it together. Don't try anything funny. So the minute that they refuel, he whispers into the captain's ear. All right, white man, let's get this thing moving. And the captain's like, okay, let me just," And he's like, now. So they just start zooting down the runway. Passengers thought that they were going to be stopped for a while. So they're all like standing up, stretching their legs. And now they're just like bouncing around in the cabin. And the seatbelt sign wasn't on. So can you blame them? So they're like, okay, after San Francisco, we're headed to San Francisco right now. You said you wanted Angela Davis and the money there. What do you, where do you want to go? What's the plan? You want to go to Cuba? Is that what you want? North Vietnam. Silent. And the captain says, okay, I want to take you there. I do. I really do. But this plane doesn't have the capacity to get there. You cannot go to North Vietnam without the plane going down on a 727. It's just impossible. I'm telling you straight up. And he realized that the whole mistake was when they didn't get on a plane to Hawaii, Mm they got on a short-range plane. Yeah. So he's like, what the fork? So then he says, okay, then I want another plane. Okay, so you want... Three million dollars. Angela Davis, who's on trial for murder and a long range plane to go to a country that we're in war with. Precisely. So obviously, Western Airlines, they contact Angela Davis. She's out on bail awaiting for the verdict of her trial. They immediately send her to the judge, the courtroom. And the judge is like, you have something to do with this. I know it. This is your escape. Who'd you put up to this? One of your many loyal followers. And she's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm innocent of this murder trial and I'm innocent of this hijacking. She genuinely had no idea, right? And they're like, well, you're under house arrest. You're going to be placed in this courthouse until this hijacking is over. There's no way you're leaving the country. And Angela Davis is like, I didn't have plans to leave the country, judge. Like, you're insane. The airline's freaking out because not only do they have Angela Davis, the court will not give them Angela Davis okay they don't have the plane they just don't have a long-range plane in the western inventory they don't have the money like what the fork are we gonna do meanwhile roger's doing the most on the intercom system he's like "Weathermen, we're starting paragraph 16 page 2 we're on track for page 12 next and everyone's looking around like it's that black guy that's literally what they were thinking the whole and i'm laughing because of how just ignorant this is but the whole plane was accusing that guy and they decided okay what are we going to do we're going to jump him right like actively talking about murdering a man together on a plane what the flight attendants are trying to calm everyone down so they're doing uh, free drinks So just popping champagne in the back. Okay, this is a weird situation. And Roger's seatmate realizes, well, it's obviously my seatmate, Roger. So let me go through his things. He had left his other bag. Right. And they start opening it up. They find the horoscope booklets. They find the explosive books, notebooks. And Kathy freaks out because, you know. What if they get caught? So she tells the flight attendant, hey, that guy's going through um, the hijacker's stuff. What if the hijacker gets pissed and blows us all up? So the flight attendant goes over and says, we need to put this back. We're going to piss off the weatherman. And they put the stuff back in the bag and under the seat. But he whispers, the flight attendant whispers to the seatmate and says, write all the stuff down. Anything you saw, write it down because the FBI might want to know. So in the cockpit, Roger's nonstop smoking weed, just joint after joint asking for updates. And the crew start lying to him and they tell them, well, you know, I don't know if you really even need Angela Davis because she was acquitted for murder. This is false. The verdict hadn't come in yet. And Roger was ecstatic and he thought, wow, it be, it's because of my thing, it's because of my hijacking, the jury found out and they thought, wow, he, she must be innocent if there's people willing to hijack something. Man, the universe was right. I wonder how Angela Davis is going to thank me later for this. And now there's a new problem. I don't need to take Angela to Vietnam now. She doesn't need political asylum. Then we don't need to go to Vietnam. So where should I go? now on land the airline western airlines full-on freak out they have bank of america gathering all the cash for the ransom the airlines just want to get it done but the fbi is like i want every single serial number on every single bill recorded <laughs> that's gonna take another two hours they also don't have a transoceanic plane so the vice president of western airlines is like calling up people I've been trying to cut out this mindless scrolling on social media. Whether I'm like enjoying some sun rays out there or I'm laying in bed after a long day, I just don't want to keep scrolling these things. I want to look for a puzzle game that gives me a good challenge. Something that requires more than just like the same strategy round after round because I feel like it keeps my brain sharp. It just makes me feel good. It's relaxing yet it's stimulating. And I love Best Fiends for this. It's a mobile puzzle game that always leaves your brain feeling refreshingly challenged. And the cool part is it's actually way more fun than other matching puzzle games which like trust me I've tried a ton of them you know the ones where all you do is like smash the same candy over and over again it just gets repetitive I feel like it's not that fun but in fact Best Fiends is a little bit too much fun I can't stop playing not that that's much of a problem since Best Fiends has literally thousands of fun puzzles to solve I'm on level 304 right now and I've got plenty more to go and the cool thing about it is it feels really casual it just feels like this easy thing to play when I just want to stick my brain a little bit and with best fiends there's always something new to play every single day and they have adorable collectible characters that just keep on coming so maybe you're like me and you have some doubts about finding a puzzle game with more to offer my advice give best fiends a try just don't blame me if you can't put it down so right now download the five star rated puzzle game best fiends for free today on the App Store or Google Play that's friends without the R best fiends He calls up United Airlines and they're like, you want us to lend you a plane so that people are going to board it with bombs? No, thank you. And everyone's just shutting them down. Finally, they secure one. Right. But they were currently in Las Vegas. So now they have to fly from Las Vegas to San Francisco, fuel up to meet the little hostage taker. And the current crew that's on the flight being held hostage, they're not qualified to fly this 728. Right. Mm -hmm. So they need a new crew. They need to swap planes. They need to swap crews. This is going to be insane. What the fork? And who
1: wants to be kidnapped?
0: Exactly. But here's the shocking thing. Captain Bill Newell, who was the chief pilot of Western Airlines, he was also like an ex-Navy person, like a really admirable person. He decides, I got to be the one to do it. So he calls up his best crew, assembles a crew of lead pilots, and they all knew that they're about to be held hostage and going into a war zone vietnam okay uh-huh. and he he calls up his best flight attendants and he tells them the truth you're gonna put your lives in danger and all of them they were called while they were eating dinner with their like families and they were like okay i'll be at the airport and what? they just rush because they were like we gotta do this it's crazy some people it's are too crazy. dedicated to their jobs i like love these people but that is like too much dedication the, are they paying you enough i need to know they need to give you 50 million raises so they're going to run this aircraft with him. Meanwhile, the FBI, they're trying to fork it up. They're like, okay, Captain Bill, we're going to get on the plane too. He's like, what? Yeah, we're going to dress up as maintenance workers. <laughs> no, you're not. They're like, yeah, we are. We're going to bring some guns. Pew, pew, pew. We're going to kill him. <laughs> He's like, no way you're not. You're literally, if you even have a shootout on a plane, we're going to kill a pilot. We're going to end up killing someone that's not the hijacker because they have weatherman aboard." The FBI is like, yeah, we don't really care. We don't care because here's the thing. People can die. That's fine. But for America to send a plane to North Vietnam, that's that's a political party foul. That's going to make us look dumb as an American. You know, there's they're, they're going to be like, look at America. They can't even control their own citizens. Yeah, we can't do that. We'd rather kill Americans than do that captain bill is like planning his own thing he's like okay i'm gonna try to sneak onto the plane and make sure fbi agents don't get onto the plane so he's like running his own operation and there was this more important issue that he had in the back of his mind they're taking a plane full of americans into vietnam are all of them going to be held hostage in vietnam like what is happening so the plan the hostage plane lands at around 6 15 p.m in san francisco they refuel and he immediately wants them to take off again the money will not be ready for another two hours so for the next five hours they're just like circling the airport because he says less time on the ground the less you die so they're just circling they're ready for the money ready for the long-range aircraft finally it's all ready and the passengers start seeing something incredibly scary just like liquid coming out of the plane like what the fuck something's going wrong just liquid shooting out of the wings they're like, we're all gonna die. The plane's gonna go down. It's a, it's a malfunction. In reality, it was fuel. They had to get rid of all the fuel because they were too heavy to land. So a plane will. Um literally pee fuel out into the just open air because they're too heavy to land Mm -hmm. they would crash so they dump all of their fuel and they eventually land a truck pulls up to the landed plan with the money and roger grabs a flight attendant a female to grab the money and put it into the cockpit and it was stuffed heavy with cash and it thudded on the ground and the passengers hear this they're thrilled and like, oh my God. You know what that sound is? That's the sound of freaking beautiful cash. The money's here. We're free, bitches. We're done. This is what they wanted. Money. They got it. And they're toasting water. Because all the champagne and the liquor was all drunken up. They're tipsy. All the passengers are tipsy, okay? They're like toasting. They're hugging. They're like, yeah, where do you live? We should have grabbed dinner. Yeah, we could. This is going to be a funny story one day, right? They're like planning all of this. Let's keep in touch, you know? This is hilarious. I can't wait to tell my family. They're going to be like, oh my God, that's crazy. Imagine the news. We're going to be on the news, guys. And one of the flight attendants, she's excited. She's toasting water. And she sees a large plane taxiing towards them. And she rushes to her colleague. And this colleague is like over the moon. She's like, yes, we're done. Finally, And she shakes her by the shoulders and she says, it's a lie. It's a lie. It's not over. It's not over. And she was right. So the FBI, they want to get snipers on the runway and shoot Roger dead now, right? So they're getting ready. They got their best snipers. San Francisco airport. Come on, come on, come on. Set up station. Kill the hostage taker. Kill Roger. But then they get a call. There's a second hijacking. From Reno, Nevada, a United Airlines Boeing 727, a man was armed with a gun and demanded $1 million. Now, that's not the alarming thing. The alarming thing is he wanted to be taken to the San Francisco airport, not Cuba, San Francisco. What? I mean, that's too much of a coincidence, right? He didn't mention that weathermen were involved. He didn't mention any political reason. He didn't mention anything. But we can't deny the coincidence. Nobody goes to San Francisco. They all go to Cuba. This is weird.
1: What so are they thinking? They're
0: scared that if they kill Roger, the second hijacker, if they're involved, they mm-hmm. get word that Roger's dead
1: mm-hmm. and
0: they kill everyone on the plane. Maybe this is like an insurance for Roger Holder and for the weatherman, right? So the FBI, they have no idea. They can't even kill Roger now. They're like, oh, shit, if we kill him, we could kill a whole plane of passengers. Imagine how that would look. What are we going to do? Right. (sighs) So while the FBI is trying to figure their stuff out, Captain Bill and his crew, they get to the new plane. Roger wanted everyone on the right side of the plane to go into the new aircraft. The left was free to go because the right side was where Kathy was sitting. So he said, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to need everyone sitting on the right side of the plane to go to go towards the rear of the plane and up. Over onto the other aircraft. Walk fast. And all the laughter stopped. Everyone's like, What? There was a few seats empty on the left side, and people are like tackling each other to sit on the left side. Oh and eventually God. everyone stood up, Kathy included, and they all left the plane and boarded the second one. A flight attendant even told Kathy, Good luck, I'll be praying for you. Everyone on the right side deboarded and got on the new plane except for a woman with her infant son and she was the only one sitting in a sea of empty seats on the right side and she was shaking in terror so finally roger walks out with the money and he's got his you know briefcase and he sees the woman and she's shaking in terror Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and he just nods at her and walks out of the plane lets her stay So they take 27 hostages now into the new plane. Roger shakes hands with the three pilots and they say, where do you want to go? And he says, I'll let you know when we're in the air. So Roger felt like Angela's trial was a sign. The fact that she was acquitted meant that they shouldn't go to Vietnam because without her, the plan wouldn't work. They wouldn't get political asylum. Vietnam wouldn't look good in the political world. So Mm -hmm. they got to do something else, right? What if they shoot down the plane before we even land in Vietnam now? So where do we want to go? Where do we want to go? The plane is in the air and he says... I want to go to Algiers. What? Algiers? You mean the capital of Algeria? You want to go to Africa right now? Yeah, I said what I said. And everyone was kind of relieved because at least the US wasn't at full on war with Algeria, but they weren't on good terms. They didn't even have like diplomatic relations at the time, they didn't Mm -hmm. have an embassy in Algeria. You know, what was going on? This is going to be weird. On top of that, because they don't have diplomatic relations, most of the crew had no idea how to fly to Algeria. So they tell him, we can take you there, but we need to refuel in New York City and get a navigator on board. So this is going to be another stop, right? And he says, okay, sounds good. So the passengers, they're eating chicken dinner in the back. Roger's drinking coffee. He's daydreaming about Algeria. He's thinking to himself, once I land there, all these reporters are going to come out. They're going to welcome me. Oh, God. It's going to be a shit show, right? It's going to be amazing. Now, FBI is confused, right? They've got this plane full of half of the passengers left in San Francisco. Now the plane is headed to New York City. They just got word they're going to Algeria. This is the first time a hostage plane is taken to Algeria with the fork's going on. So they start questioning the remaining passengers that are now free and none of them really remember anything because most of them are wasted. Most of them are so drunk. So they're like, this is insane. This is useless. The only useful information was the seatmate who saw in Roger's bag discharge papers that said Willie Roger Holder. They finally had the real name of the hijacker and the press went nuts. The press started making up shit. They were like, four radical black people hijack the plane. cool a five-year-old was interviewed and he said my grandma was a passenger on that plane and they're like what happened to the plane five-year-old and he said it got hijacked the man wanted hundreds of dollars and they're like why does a five-year-old know the word hijacked this is bad guys it's not a good look on us so the plane lands at New York City at five in the morning and the passengers are told you guys are going to be allowed off after the plane is done refueling. Meanwhile, the FBI is intent on sending another fake maintenance worker into the plane. So they keep trying to stall. We need to get into the maintenance costume. We need to have a plan. Right. But Roger was on to this. So he demanded to talk to the FBI and he said, and I quote, looky here, motherfucker. You better get this shit out here now. So he's referring to the ladder to let the passengers off the plane. Right. And he says, you better get shit out here now you ass now i want to hear your shit get it out here now you ain't fucking around with no dumb n-word you understand
1: why is he letting them go
0: because he really didn't he just wanted to be free
1: Uh, it seems what about kathy
0: kathy was gonna stay oh yeah and uh the n-word is important because in the army his white superiors called him the n-word non-stop So I think there's some significance there. He's not just like trying to be vulgar. And he was Mm -hmm. like, you understand. And 30 seconds of 30 seconds passed and the stairs were there. So I guess it just took a little bit of cussing out the FBI to get shit done. okay? the passengers start lining up to leave and Kathy didn't know what to do. She's thinking to herself like weighing the options. She could easily get off right now and pretend that she's just as shook as everyone else. Nobody saw them talking. Nobody knew that they were dating. Mm -hmm. But the intercom comes on and it says, Kathy, you stay here. So she sits back down in her seat and everyone's looking at her like, what this? Like, honestly, she's very beautiful. This beautiful, just 20 year old dressed up as a hippie. Like, you're a part of this. What? What is happening? So she sits back down in her chair and everyone starts leaving. And then she sees a quote unquote maintenance worker trying to sneak up the stairs to the plane. Uh-huh. And he claims it's a pre-flight inspection. And Captain Bill stands up and he says, get back, get back, shut the doors. So Captain Bill thought that Roger was negotiable. He already let off all the passengers. Yeah. He went this far without any bloodshed. Now is not the time to piss him off. Yeah. I mean, why would you do that? We're just going to drop him off in Algeria and we'll be fine. No one's going to die today. Yeah. So the FBI agents, they were forced to step back and their plan was ruined. And the plane leaves at 6.25 a.m. with no agents aboard. So the plane heads straight towards Algeria. They have a navigator on board now. A true navigator, not an FBI agent. And Roger starts joining Kathy in the first class cabin. They smoke weed together. They take a nap. They have sex. Yeah, so that's cool. I guess join the Mile High Club if you're already doing this, okay? Imagine hijacking a plane but not being part of the Mile High Club. I couldn't imagine that. That sounds boring. So Kathy even goes to the cockpit to open, to ask them to turn up the heat. It's too cold in the plane. And they all look at her and they're like, what? So during all of this, I mean, they had no idea that there was somebody else back there. They thought most people had left. Mm -hmm. And it's like this young, beautiful 20-year-old woman How did she get roped in all of this? What's happening? Mm -hmm. (laughs) What the fork? So America is on full on alert. The Pentagon gets involved and they're freaking the fork out. Like I said, first American hostage flight to Africa, to Algeria specifically. What's going to happen when they get there? I mean, Algeria could very well take the whole crew hostage because they're not on good relations with America. The Pentagon calls up Switzerland and says, hey, Can you do us a huge favor, Switzerland? Can you call the hostage plane and tell them that you'll give them asylum? And then, like, obviously, when they land, you can be like, oopsie, I was just lying. And then you can, like, bring them back to us. Mm -hmm. You know, what do you think? How does that sound? And Switzerland says, and I quote, we will not be the Cuba of the Alps. (laughs) And says, you will not land your hostage plane in Switzerland. Thank you. Now go fork off. So finally, they try to reach Algeria. Okay, the Pentagon gets in contact with Algeria and Algeria contacts the plane. And they want to talk to Roger. They want Mm -hmm. to know, do you have any affiliation with any political group? Are you like trying to do something shady in Algeria? Mm -hmm. And he says, no. Can you guarantee my safety? Yes, it is not a problem. All right, I want asylum. Are you going to give that to me? Yeah. Okay, understood. So the plane is going to land in Algeria. Once they land, there's military trucks waiting for them. Roger leaves with the money and Kathy. And before he leaves the cockpit, he tells the crew, I left you guys something in the oven. They go to the literal oven inside of the um, stewardess little area Mm -hmm. where they heat up meals. And he had left close to $30,000 in there for the crew as a tip
1: wow so
0: like what so Roger right before he leaves the plane he takes off his shoes because he thinks it's going to be more dramatic a barefoot skyjacker in his army uniform he deboards the plane with Kathy and his cash once he gets on the ground Algerian officials they take his cash and they gingerly take the bomb briefcase away from him and they're going to be rushed to be interviewed by the head of the military in Algeria because they need to know are you you a threat to Algeria are we going to grant you political asylum why should we Grant you political asylum. Mm-hmm. Why should we do any of this? The press were all there, they were going crazy, and the first thing that they wanted to do was look at that bomb. So they see the military officials open up that briefcase, and inside was an alarm clock, a book, and an empty disposable razors box. There was no <sighs> bomb. This was the longest distance skyjacking in American history without a single weapon wow
1: so he just fooled everyone with a graph
0: yeah so the crew they were fed and uh to their surprise algeria was like yeah okay go back to the states we don't really care and they were like wow thank you and algeria fed them this delicious meal and they're like this is kind of great we should come back more often they get onto a plane they fly back to the united states so the couple the couple are sent to be guarded in a hotel while the president of algeria is deciding what to do with them right obviously america wants them back more than anything right so this time Finally, at this time, the Angela Davis trial verdict came through and she was found not guilty on all charges. And there was no mention of the plane. And this kind of pissed off Roger, but we'll get back to that. So finally, they have a meeting with the president of Algeria. He shakes Roger's hand, said nothing else, and escorted them out of the room. That was it. Just one look is what it took. So for another one to two weeks, they're waiting. And finally, Algeria informs them that they are clear to be released. They are granted asylum.
1: What? Are you kidding me?
0: So now they're like, oh shit, okay, but what about the money? Yeah, we're still working on that, okay? So Algeria officials had the money still. So they're like, okay, well, what do we do? Thankfully, there was a lot of connections in Algeria. Um, there were more like, a, they're called the Black Panthers. They were a, group and a movement if you will i'm not going to go in deep into it but the book does right and they had members in algeria that were just going to house these people they were like come come stay with us it was free housing free food and the couple stayed with them they're just frolicking on these beautiful beaches getting friendly with neighbors i mean it was they they started hanging out with all these like really high class people in algeria like they were almost seen as like this whoa like honorable guests at a party almost interesting right yeah. Now, Algeria did announce, though, that they will return the money. So they scheduled a meetup to meet the officials of Western Airlines in Paris to transfer the funds over. And Roger and Kathy were really sad about this. They had been planning ways to spend it. So then now they're like, well, we have no money. What are we going to do? We can't find work in Algeria. What, what ha- what's what's going to happen? Meanwhile, the hijacking start getting worse because now people are like, wait a minute. I can get to Algeria too? Are you kidding me? Another family made it to Algeria. There was a man who demanded over $10 million. He got it. There was a shootout. He got to Cuba. They turned him away. So he flied back to the US and then flew back to Cuba. I mean, it was just nonstop. There was a young college student who was killed by a pilot during a hijacking. And finally, President Nixon was like, I think we should um, declare a state of an emergency. So he declared the emergency FAA rule that airlines would be required to screen every single passenger with metal detectors they would have to inspect the contents of all the carry-on bags this was going to cost billions of dollars a year for the airline industry it's going to be an absolute shit show they would impose a tax on all the tickets airline tickets would have to go up cuba agreed to sign an extradition deal when it came to hijackers, I was like, yeah, okay, fine. We'll give you your little criminals back. Meanwhile, I mean, it was America's in a shit show and Roger in Algeria, they're just like hanging out. But Roger starts mentally deteriorating. He starts getting anxious. He feels like the CIA is listening to him, that people are trying to turn him in. Everyone was against him. He starts smoking more weed. And through their connections, they decided to sneak away from Algeria to Paris. So they get these really good fake us passports they get on a plane from algeria to paris and this whole time the couple's kind of drifting apart and once they get to paris it's only worse because kathy is young she wants to live her life and people in paris these parisian men are really attracted to her, especially when they know her history. And I'm talking wealthy men. This is another Jack Antevager situation where all of these upper elites in Paris, authors, artists, movie makers, producers, designers, they wanted to wine and dine this couple because this is this is crazy. You're against the war. What kind of beautiful political message is that? You're fighting for peace. And it, it helped that nobody was killed, you know, in this hostage situation. It's beautiful. So they spend the rest of the two years like that. (laughs) Just in Paris, having a stellar time. Especially Kathy. She's dating these wealthy men. They're just showering her in fur. She drops her hippie clothes because she kind of dressed more like a hippie. And now she's in like this chic Parisian, dressed in just watches, fur, jewelry. Just the best of the best. And a little over two years after the hijacking, In January, a cold January, the Parisian police, they see something strange. There's a tall, skinny man just wandering around the local river. He's obviously drunk. He seemed to be in a daze. So they approach him and they say, hey, give us your ID. You need to go home. You're like a nuisance to the public. And he says, oh, I don't have any ID. So they arrest him. They bring him to the station and they're like, how do you not have any ID? And he does not hold back. He says well my name is roger holder i'm here illegally i've been here for like years nobody knew um yeah i'm wanted in the u.s because i hijacked a plane and they're like oh my god this guy's so drunk okay get out of here we're gonna take a picture of you but freaking go sleep it off and tomorrow bring us your passport okay so they take a picture of him and they let him go and as protocol they let the american embassy know And all hell broke loose. They're like, are you freaking kidding me? Go re-arrest the motherfucker. We've been looking for him for years. Are you? (laughs) Oh, my God. So Paris police is like, oopsie daisies. And they go to his address that literally Roger was like, here's my address. They go to the address, but they find out that the couple had rushed out. So he had gone home, told Kathy everything. Kathy freaked out, packed up their stuff. They had still left some things, you know, and they fled to a sympathizer's house. And now they're just at this sympathizer's house. we're excited to tell you guys about the new hit podcast strange and unexplained with daisy egan do you guys believe in ghosts how about bigfoot do you think it's strange and fascinating that a four-year-old in oklahoma could look at a black and white picture of a man from the 1930s and say that was me Before And then provide actual verifiable details about that man's life? If so, Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan is about to be your new favorite podcast. Daisy is a Tony Award winning actor, writer, and true crime fanatic. But she's also a skeptic. Each week she looks at real stories of hauntings, disappearances, UFO encounters, the Bermuda Triangle, unsolved murders, and disappearances, and anything else that feels just beyond what we can easily make sense of. Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan is one of the most popular new podcast on the internet so what are you guys waiting for find strange and unexplained with daisy egan wherever you get your podcasts and roger keeps deteriorating so after two weeks the couple decides okay the paris police is no longer interested probably right so let's go back to the apartment get the rest of our stuff but that is when they are surrounded by the police and arrested and the first day of court hearings was a shit show everyone in paris wanted to see this couple. They're like, I thought they were in Algeria. They're in Paris? What? And they were just so impressed by Kathy. Because she was young. She was sophisticated. She was beautiful. It was almost like this mesmerizing, like what? She looks like this privileged woman in Paris. She doesn't look like a skyjacker. Uh That's confusing. And it's almost like this vibe of like, women were not known for skyjacking. So it's like, damn, she a badass type vibe. And now the couple wants America extradited, but the French is having a hard time just like the Italian guy because the French people freaking love this couple. So they're like, okay, we're gonna piss off our own people for America? What do we do? It also hurt that uh, uh, Kathy had learned French really well. So she was doing all these Media interviews when she got arrested. And she said, and I quote, You know, I always admired France for sheltering political refugees, and I hope that we will become part of that rich tradition, pretty much asking and pressuring for political asylum. So the judge concluded neither party acted out of vengeance. You know, there was no one physically hurt. They didn't even get the money. And Algeria had already granted them asylum. So, America, don't get pissed off, okay? But we're just going to try them in France. Okay, we're not going to send you back because you're probably going to give them so much time in jail. We're just going to try them in France. So the first trial would be for possessing false passports. And they were found guilty, fined uh, several hundred francs, francs, like a couple hundred dollars. And they were sentenced to time served and released back into Paris. Now, they are facing the hijacking charges. There's going to be another trial for hijacking a plane. And they wanted the couple to stay in Paris without before the trial. So they cannot leave. They have to check into court two times a month and their relationship was pretty much over. They were openly dating other people and, you know, Roger was dating here and there. I think he got another woman pregnant, but it's kind of up in the air if that is his baby or not. And Roger starts bargaining with the American embassy. He says, I want to go back to the United States. I miss my kids, but I want to reduce sentence. So a lot of hijackers were getting like 30 years in prison now. And he said, I want a very, very minimal sentence. And they wanted nothing to do with that. They said, absolutely not. We're not giving hijackers slaps on the wrist now. And this stressed out Kathy. He's like, can you stop going to the American embassy and trying to like go back to America? Like we're, we're finally going to maybe be free in France, this amazing country Where I'm rich now because my boyfriend's. Thank you. Can you stop? And she moves out of the apartment and gets her own place funded by her wealthy boyfriend. And months would pass and he wouldn't even see Kathy. And then he gets a knock on the door. Kathy had stopped by his place. And he said she was completely different. Just draped in jewelry and fur. And she told Roger, I can't do this anymore. The, you know, trial coming up is stressing me out. I'm going to take a vacation with some friends in Switzerland to clear my head.
1: She's fleeting.
0: and she gave him this beautiful, expensive Omega watch before she left and said, I'll be back. And she walked away. And that was the last time anyone saw Kathy. She went to her Switzerland and people suspect with her connections with all these wealthy Parisians, with the money that was being funded by these wealthy Parisians, she is suspected of having gotten a fake identity at the American embassy in Switzerland because they had pretty um, loose standards back in the day in Switzerland. They'd be like, you look rich. You're totally not running from the law. Let's give you a passport. Uh, The finances would help. She could be anywhere right now. She's still a fugitive in America. So people think that she could even be living in the U.S. A completely different life. A lot of people suspect that she married a rich Parisian man, changed her identity, had a family. Her kids don't even know that her mom is a famous hijacker. She probably got plastic surgery to help with that. And that's it. Her parents in the United States never heard from her again. She never tried reaching out to anybody in the U.S. ever again. Just living a... I mean, obviously, you could say maybe she died. Maybe she got into a car accident. Maybe she drug overdosed. But the main theory is that she has this completely new life. Yeah. She's still on the FBI's most wanted list, though. Like on the page. If you go to FBI.gov or whatever. It's still there.
1: Holy cow.
0: So Roger realizes, all right, I'm the only one left to stand trial. Freaking great. (laughs) And he was hospitalized for paranoia, anxiety. He was self-medicating. It was just not a good time. And the verdict found him guilty, but with extenuating circumstances. So they gave him a five-year probation sentence, a suspended sentence, which means you're not going to jail. But you can't leave Paris until your probation is over. So you're stuck in Paris until at least 1985. So he moved around a lot. A wealthy friend put him in a chateau... So he was living in a rural chateau, writing his memoir. He spent over a year at a clinic treating his PTSD. He married a journalist by the name of Violetta Velkova. And it just didn't seem like a loving relationship. And on the hour mark that his exile was over, he walked into the American embassy and applied for a passport. He was taken into custody for the diplomatic paperwork to be finished. And that took over a year. And the American embassy kept him in a Parisian hospital, a hospital in Paris pumped full of tranquilizers the whole time. Finally, in 1986, 14 years after the hijacking, he lands on American soil, JFK, and he was immediately arrested by the FBI.
1: So odd.
0: So 14 years later, America was over it. They were over the skyjacking phase. People weren't doing it anymore. There were metal detectors everywhere. And there was also this huge, I guess you could call it propaganda, where um, skyjacking became an alien crime is what they called it because a lot of other foreign countries started doing it. So there was a lot of news media pushing, Oh my God, look at what these crazy criminals are doing in the specifically the Middle East and all these places. So everyone was like, oh, skyjacking, despicable. Even though America had its long history of skyjackings, they just completely glazed over it. And they were like, look at these Middle Easterners doing this crazy stuff. We could never. So they didn't really care for skyjackers anymore. So Uh they gave him a two-year prison sentence. He got a plea bargain. Um, He spent a little bit of time. And then he was sent to a halfway house in San Diego. So his first wish was to reunite with his two twin daughters. They were now 22 years old. And he said that the moment that they saw him, Mm -hmm. he saw disappointment in their eyes. He thinks that they were expecting a James Bond, but they saw this old guy with sleepy eyes, drugged out, super skinny, just not the guy that they were imagining, not the legend that everyone made him out to be.
1: Do you think that's why they're
0: disappointed? I Come
1: think on. okay at 22 years I, old i think
0: there's a part of it of if my dad can't be with me because he did this crazy thing that people praise him for maybe i start kind of trying to convince myself that i shouldn't be hurt because my dad's a hero my dad's a superhero and you kind of just like convince yourself No, no no the reason that he's not with me today is because he had big things he had to do right and i think maybe seeing the dad was like huh
1: But when you see the dad, would you be just more saddened? Yeah, they were really sad. So their
0: whole thing that they, well, he claims that they told him is that um, they felt like he chose notoriety and Angela Davis over his own flesh and blood. Which is a much more understanding explanation for this. So in San Diego, he tries to get his life back together. And he tries to go to work, but he's constantly getting fired. He'd just get depressed, smoke more weed, tell anyone who would listen about his crazy days. And everyone just kind of thought of him as that crazy uncle that just like passed his prime. Nobody even believed his stories anymore because that's how far gone skyjacking was by the time he got back. Like people were like, skyjacking? Americans don't do that. What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. And he was like, no, I did that. They're like, okay, you're so crazy. You're like obviously on drugs. You're like one of those crazy uncles. Nobody believed him. He was examined by three doctors and they said that he had post-traumatic stress disorder, drug and alcohol dependence, panic disorder, bipolar disorder, paranoid schizophrenia with grand and persecution delusions. And he had another small prison sentence because uh, he told his weed dealer that he wanted to hijack another plane. But this time with real bombs. So the FBI arrested him again. And he had a small prison sentence. And they said, okay, but like, you know, three strikes, you're out. Talk about it one more time and you're going to be in here for life. And um, because of all of his complications, he passed away in 2012. A lot of it was from his alcohol abuse, his drug abuse, and I'm sure his mental health really didn't help either. And Kathy is still out there somewhere. I mean, we don't know if she's dead or alive, but she's still wanted. The FBI is not actively looking for her. They're not putting in resources, but they consider her armed and dangerous, according to the FBI.gov website. So that's great. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the story of one of the longest skyjackings in history. It's fascinating that the D.B. Cooper story is so notorious, but this one is just so strange to me. I think this one is... It's so comical in certain parts, but I think when you let it sit for a second, you're talking about PTSD, a war veteran yeah. who really didn't want to kill anyone, who really didn't want to hurt anyone. Even in his hostage taking, there was no bomb. There was no real weapons. And I'm not saying that he didn't hurt people because he probably gave a lot of PTSD to the crew, to the staff, to all the passengers. Yeah. But just
1: yeah. sad and his whole motive was really interesting yeah at first right yeah he wants to fly to north vietnam and
0: donate money
1: (laughs) really interesting
0: yeah and kathy is interesting too she's like this 20 year old who just wanted a fun time like that's literally all she wanted she did not care about this skyjacking not one iota she was like i'm here for fun can't wait to go to australia and hit the beaches." what and now she's probably she
1: is i mean technically she sounds way more like a legend to me yeah that's what people she got away she's probably living a this like she's probably living the life
0: like he to me sounds like this Broken man, mm-hmm. broken by the war, broken by the army who, you know, honestly betrayed him mm-hmm. and all this PTSD. And his story is so sad, right? But then, Kathy, it's so fascinating that this girl just wants to have a good time, hijack a plane, and now she's like living with these rich Parisian people, probably living like a. They say that she is really good at language skills. She's so intelligent. That's how the FBI even describes her. That she probably picked up French that a local wouldn't even be able to tell that she's not a native French person. What? They would not even be able to tell that's a freaking american that's how good they say she is wow so i think that th- that's more fascinating in the sense of like what what yeah. is going on in that mind of yours just imagine this like 60 something year old grandma in france right now she's sipping her tea yeah we're in switzerland swip, s- sipping her tea she probably got kids running around nobody has any idea that that's fucking kathy a fugitive.
1: You don't think she tells the story? You think so? Like, when I was young.
0: And <laughs> the kids are like, God, get grandma her meds. What's <laughs> wrong with her again?
1: <laughs> and then they hear this podcast. They're like, huh? <gasps> Grandma? grandma? <laughs> this you?
0: <laughs> this you? <laughs> what are you guys' thoughts on this son? This son's crazy. I I had no idea that there was a golden age of hijackings. Uh Let me know your thoughts. And I hope you guys enjoyed this week's podcast. And I'll see you guys on Sunday. Yeah, for the mini-sode. Bye.
1: Bye.